All right, I think we are recording. Okay, as usual, we're put, I pulled together a panel of my best buddies. We have Brad, we have Eric, we have BJ, and okay. we're gonna have a conversation that we're trying to figure out the right term for. Um, musical bigotry sounds too harsh. Musical blind spots uh, doesn't quite capture it, but basically all of what sparked this is that um, we all have areas, genres, styles, decades, whatever that we don't really care for and that we don't even sometimes really have an open mind for. Um, and yet we're all music lovers and the people who listen to our podcasts are music lovers. And so I wanted to have a discussion about why that is. Why is it that we call ourselves music lovers and yet we have these areas that we just don't even want to step into because we know that we don't like them. Um, I don't know how you, what, what do you guys think is the right terminology? If we're going to bypass bigotry, what's the right word for that here? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know either. Because blind spot um, to me implies that you're just like, but, you haven't given it the time or the attention. And I know that's not necessarily what it is. It's just something I, inherently within us well, doesn't cater to something. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I was thinking about, um, you know, when you threw out the word bigotry, I was like, well, that's that's a loaded term. And none of us, you know, fall under that description. Right. Mm -hmm. Particularly when it comes to music and so forth. Right. But if you would think of, you know, a blind spot would be, you know, like it's cultural to an extent. We all grew up in our whatever our track of culture, uh, the sphere of our culture that we grew up in. Right. So, for instance, you know, I might not know a lot of international native music right mm -hmm. um so that's kind of a that's a blind spot i call that a blind spot but it doesn't mean i hate you know mm -hmm. um, which bigotry would mean right so i didn't i didn't grow up listening to whatever traditional eastern indian music or whatever right it comes uh, down to like how much of a picky eater you are uh, kind of a little bit, right? a little bit, yeah it's it's almost the exact opposite of a guy i know who's everything is his favorite Right. Yeah. People aren't that, uh, like that are so annoying. I don't, I mean, yeah. Okay. Thanks. But, so yeah, the first other, one's balls to get busted or mine. That makes sense. And the other, uh, point, no. the other, the other point I was thinking about it too. I, and I don't know if there's, there's like, there's a blind spot versus what you like and maybe know and then choose to not like, right? Mm -hmm. Like I only know one Lee Greenwood song. I'm probably uh, going to say I'm not going to like the rest of Lee Greenwood's catalog. How about right. that Travis Tramp? He might, he might have a great discography and tons of deep cuts that I would love, right? But is that a blind spot? Because I didn't, I don't know every Ted Nugent song. I feel safe saying uh -huh. I don't like Ted Nugent, right? <laughs> right. Um, you know, I don't know. Let yeah. me ask you this, uh, not to shine the light on Brad too quickly, but we know that Brad is not super... Uh, he doesn't really love the 80s. Most stuff from the 80s, especially if it's got a synth in it or a saxophone or it's too heavily produced or drum machines, Brad just immediately is like, oh, no, thank you. Now, and Brad is, I'm not, I'm shining a light on you, Brad, but we're all that way. Everybody has something like that. Sure. And yeah, I wonder here. if that is a function of a closed mind. Is it a function of enlightenment? Like, I know myself, I've listened to enough music in my life. I know that I'm just not going to like this particular kind, no matter what you do. Or well, is it a matter of like, who's asking you to listen to it? Uh, well, I, I think the answer to that question depends on, on who you are, right? I think in the case of all of us and the, the general podcast uh, crew that we know, I think, I think it's just a matter of really knowing what you like. Um, and you're, you're pretty close. I, I don't, I don't have a problem with saxophones. I'm not sure where you got that from, but, but the rest of it, you're, you're, yeah. you're close. Um, I mean, I, you know, I think, I think that when you're really passionate about something, you have strong opinions either way, what you like and what you don't like, you know, personally, I'm not a big movie person. So there's films I like and ones I'm not interested in, but you know, if, if you don't like a film that I like, I'm not upset by that. Mm -hmm. But because I love music so much, if if you say one of my favorite bands sucks, it's like a punch in the stomach. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if somebody tells BJ that Cheap Trick sucks, you know, I bet that elicits all kinds of feelings in him because it's what his favorite 
bands. Yeah. You know? yeah. Um, and we're all like that, right? It's yeah. you, you kind of take those things a little bit personally. And at the same time, you know, there's stuff that you just, you know, it's just, you've weeded it out uh, from your particular taste, you know, mm-hmm. um, some people don't like Chinese food. Some people, you know, I don't particularly like French food. Am I a French bigot? I don't think so. It's just that that cuisine does not appeal to me. I yeah. love Indian food. That's my favorite. Um, you know, we all have those, those yeah. things. Music isn't any different, except I think music is, you get so emotionally engaged in it, at least people like us do, that it's become such a deeper thing than just, you know, a TV show you like or a book true whatever you know bj let me uh we haven't heard from you yet if you were to say that you had a blind spot or a something that is more a genre or style or decade that is more difficult for you to cotton to what would it be well i think we're just talking about taste and Hmm. i mean do you guys think that you choose what you like really that's a very good question i don't really think you do i can't really explain Mm-hmm. I've been trying to think back to how my taste developed. You know, neither of my parents were into music, so I wasn't Same influenced here. by them. Same here. And so the music I liked, it was a very specific thing. And, you know, over the years, whatever I was exposed to on the radio or whatever, none of it drew me in until I heard what I liked. And I can't explain why Dokken and Def Leppard and Rat were what I liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know but that's that is, whatever that was when i was a kid <laughs> like i remember my brother had thriller because everyone had thriller but i didn't care about it like nothing connected for me until i heard Dokken and rat and twisted sister and then i just went was obsessed and went nuts over it so why was it that stuff as opposed to everything else i had heard before that you know when born in the usa was huge I'm, my dad says, oh, you liked Bruce Spring. Well, yeah, well, it was when Born in the USA was the biggest thing in the world, but I didn't have the tape. I didn't ask my parents, get me Born in the USA. I never asked for anything until I got into, you know, like pop metal. And then I just went nuts, you know? So why was it that? I don't know. I didn't have any anything influencing me in that direction. It, also, it was really that. It might be an huh. age. It might be an age where you're susceptible, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of you kind of get rooted in that, and everything sort of that's a foundational sort of awakening, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I remember throughout life, right? Maybe my I had been into Kiss when I was a little kid. When I was like five years old because my uncle, my mom's brother, who was like probably nineteen or something, he had gotten me and my brother into Kiss when they were the biggest band in the world. But then I, I, I didn't really pay attention to music until maybe I was like 12 or something. And my friend Nick, who I mentioned, we were talking before we started recording, Nick Pape, the Escape from New York guy, he had Kiss records when I went over to his house and then I got back into Kiss. And so the whole reason I found Dokken and stuff was that I was trying to find, I was watching MTV trying to see Kiss without their makeup, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I remember that. And then I saw In My Dreams... And I saw like round and round and we're not going to take it. And then it was just, I was off to the races, like collecting everything I could. And that really is what started my obsession. But like I said, I don't know why that's just what I liked. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I chose to like that. (laughs) Um, I think we all know some people though, who only like that genre of music. Yeah. Well, that's how I was then. Like I was thinking back to when, like I loved the song with or without you but i couldn't have that tape when i was a teenager when my entire collection was heavy metal so i would just wait for it to come on the radio and then love listening to it and i'm thinking back like why didn't you just get the tape you fucking asshole you know but i was you know i could only have metal you know yeah. so well, like, you know that's, that's pathetic i think that's pathetic but yeah, that's true. like a, well, so then that gets to there's a certain element of that that's contextual you know not that you're trying to be cool or fit in explicitly but that is foundational right so when it hits you you know um that kind of conformity though is so much a part of being a teenager in america yeah i had this certain collection i couldn't just put the joshua tree in that collection it didn't it didn't work at the time but i loved that song and it would it was so stupid that i didn't just have it that i could listen to whatever i wanted that i would have to like wait for it to come on the radio right but that's yeah. such a part of that age i think you know yeah. uh, you know hopefully 
you grow out of that once you get old. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have nothing like that. We all know people who don't, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Only listen to the same narrow category of music that they listen to when they were and it really is with heavy metal guys you know there's like that whole macho that's why all of us have experienced when you get into the facebook world of anything hard rock or heavy metal you're going to find lots of macho fucking douchebags Mm -hmm. because they're all drawn to that kind of music because it makes them feel tough for some reason that kind of music means you're a manly man Mm -hmm. you know it's all really fucking stupid but that's just the way a lot of people think Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then you know to extrapolate that and tie it back to the word bigotry in a way there's you know i said this briefly before we started recording you know there's an element of that that kind of metal macho where they just knee jerk will say i don't like rap right mm-hmm. now you legitimately may not like rap but it's also kind of a shorthand for racism right you know when they say that yeah. that's kind of what they're saying it's it's a you know it's a very faint dog whistle that they're blowing there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and not to make the, not to equate, you know, left and right on this matter, because they're not really, but, you know, the other thing people might say, well, I don't like country, right? Does that mean like, I don't like uh, rednecks or whatever, right? But, uh-huh. you know, and it's not, it's not exactly the same thing, right? But, you know, you may just not, you know, uh, you know, and there's, there's shades of gray within those, right? You might say, sure. I don't like, you know, modern country, whereas I like 90s pop country or I like, you know, 60s, you know, the original outlaws country or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, or some people might qualify rap as they liked, you know, the original rappers of the early to mid 80s, but they don't like it. Modern stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's very true. I wonder, too. So let me tell you, it's Easter. I'll get religious on you for a second. Um, so there is a. uh in the Book of Mormon, there was a prophet named Abinadi. Now, whether you believe it or not, but this is a Book of Mormon story. Before the birth of Christ, uh, Abinadi was preaching to the people of, I can't remember where, that Christ was coming and that, you know, as, as Old Testament prophets were doing too. He's coming, you got to prepare, believe me, he's going to save us all. And the people of this, wherever he was preaching, didn't believe him and ended up burning him at the stake, right? Uh, basically saying that he was a false prophet. And he was like, no, believe me, it is happening. So jump to much later, some, uh, some friends of mine who aren't as into music as I am, but know that I'm passionately about it, uh, started calling me Lamb Abinadiaro because <laughs> I was the guy who was always like, no, you have to listen to the White Stripes or you have to listen to whatever. You know, you have to listen to these things. It's so good. David Bowie is so good. And they would be like, yeah, whatever. I mean, we hear you all the time. You're constantly, you have so many all-time favorites to shut up already. But if somebody else, not me, recommended the bands that I would recommend to them, they would fall in love with these bands, you know? Because I was too much to handle. And I'm just a, a <laughs> constant faucet of recommendations and passion. But somebody else who's not like that and can maybe be a little more, I don't know, a little su- more subtle or a little more, uh, I don't know, discerning or whatever, somebody else recommends that to them. And they're like, yes, I love this. And mm-hmm. so uh, anyway, among this one group of friends, I have this nickname, Lama Benadiro. So I wonder if there is something to who it is that's trying to turn you on to something. For instance, going back to Brad, like Brad, we know is not a big 80s person. Um, But if I went to Brad and I was like, Brad, I know that you hate the 80s, but I really love this song. It's really hitting me in in a profound way. Would you please listen to this with as much an open mind as you can? I, I know we're friends and we love each other, so you probably would. But do you think that you would bring too much baggage to a request like that to have a fully open mind? Because that's what I wonder happens in situations like this. Yeah, I well, between you and me, I don't I don't think so or, or any of you guys, um, mm-hmm. because I respect all of your opinion, opinions. But I do get the point you're making that sometimes uh, you know, the intensity sometimes <laughs> turns people off or if you just, you know, somebody is just, you know, I mean, it kind of comes down to, I used to always watch Siskel and Ebert, right? <laughs> and I found over time that I tended to like the movies that Ebert liked 
more than the ones that Cisco liked, right? And, the, sure. and critics are the same way. You know, there's certain rock critics or whatever mm -hmm. that I would just, you know, I would not pay attention to or pay attention to because you get to know, like, you know, they tend to like the stuff I like or I respect their opinion or whatever. But so there's, I think there's some of that that's involved in who it's coming from. Um, but no, I think in, in general, it's, you know, when you get to the stage that, that, that we're at, it's just your tastes just get formed mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, it's, it, it, you'd have to move heaven and earth to change my opinion on things, certain things in the eighties and same thing, you know, the, you, BJ's just never going to like the blues, no matter how much I tried to convince him to listen to. You know what I mean? He's never going to love Foghat. It's just not going to happen. I have. If I you. made you, if I lovingly made you a Kajagugu mix CD, Brad, would you? Oh, would you? Oh, listen to it with an open mind. I would try, but I can't honestly promise I would have that much. Well, I can. Mix. I can flip that back on you, Josh, because I've, yeah. I've, I've, I've taken. More than once, I sort of sent some Kansas clips your way, right? I've done that two or three times, I think. Yeah. Even today, I was listening to their In Spirit of Things record. I was like, I think John might like this one, right? Um, so you've been on the other end of that. Uh -huh, so totally. What's your, the question you just asked Brad, answer it yourself. Yeah, that's a really good question. I, and I think we're all probably in this. I like to think of myself as having an open mind. I, um, and there's, there's not a lot of genres that I just, have zero interest in. I don't, I love rap music, but I stopped liking it so much when it really got too deep into gangster rap and I still sort of feel that way. I'm not a huge fan of modern country, but if someone I trusted sent me a song and was like, I really like this, I think you will too, I would absolutely listen to it with an open mind. Prog rock in Kansas, to me, there's different, there's different layers. There's the music that I really like, there's the, and listen to, uh, on my own accord, then there's music that I like, but I would probably never play on my own. There's music that like, I may not put the CD in my player, but if it came up on random, I, I wouldn't mind. And then I would move past it and go to something else. And that's kind of where I would put something like Kansas or a lot of like, I hate Frank Zappa. You know, I um, no amount of turning me on to Frank Zappa is gonna work, I don't think at this point. And, um, it just doesn't hit me in the feels anywhere. But is that because I just haven't heard the right Frank Zappa? Is that because the right person hasn't turned me on to Frank Zappa? Is that because I have a Frank Zappa problem? Um, I don't know. I don't know why we feel the way that we do, you know? I think BJ made the point. It's just, we're talking about taste, right? So once yeah. you, know, back to Brad's comparison to food, once your, your palate kind of knows I do or don't like this, you kind of continue on that path, right? Mm -hmm. It takes it takes something special to diverge from that path, right? So, you know, you're you kind of already formed an opinion of Frank Zappa. And he may have songs that might land with you, right? But your taste is is pretty well locked in on Frank Zappa, right? Or, you know, uh French food, I think Brad said, right, in his case. Right? So it's it's not dissimilar, I don't think. And I could either no, take the time to one last point real quick, Brad, then I want to listen to you. I could either take the hours that it might take to dig deep enough into Frank Zappa to find those one or two nuggets that I like, or I could just keep listening to what I like. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Why and, waste uh, time when you can listen to Howard Jones again and again? Right. It's like those people who, who after you watch that movie, Tenet, and they're like, oh, well, you have to watch it like three or four times to no, really understand I would never what's watch going it on. Once. I know. And it's like, you want me to sit through a three hour movie three or four times to maybe understand what's going on when I didn't Is like that it Christopher the first Nolan? time? Yeah. And it, yeah, it's see, like, I think he's a total now. hack and everyone loves him. So, I mean, you know, I think that's one be. thing. I, not all of it. I think, don't you think that you have a reaction when everyone loves something and you don't get it, then you're going to then you're driven to really dislike it. Kind you know of. what I mean? You dig your heels in, I think. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah I, I was going to say what Eric, you made me think of this. We were talking about the food analogy again, is that there are people that literally it's a genetic thing who have a distaste for cilantro uh, that for most of us, it tastes good, but for some people it like tastes like soap. I wonder if there's a certain element of that about music that it's just almost like a, you know, it's not a choice. It's like almost a genetic. Oh yeah. I have a you know violent I mean? reaction to some things, 
like I hear five seconds of like some modern country song with auto tune, I get violently <laughs> angry. Like, uh, yeah. You know, so I really mm-hmm. had like, yeah. like there's a lot of modern, like one thing that really turns me off is vocals. If I hate the way the person sings and there's a lot of modern vocal styles that I just hate, I hear five seconds of Ed Sheeran and I'm angry. That's I how just I feel about can't Billy Corgan. stand it. I just can't. Well, yeah, I, I can get that. I, it, I, he doesn't have that effect on me. It's more when I listen to him talk in an interview. But <laughs> oh, I'd much, I think um, he's really interesting in interviews. I can't stand listening well, to him sing. He's Kills so me. annoying. Yeah. Oh my is, god, but... he was just on Howard Stern, and he is so self-important and pretentious, and uh, he thinks yeah. he's he he would he thinks that he's a complete genius. He really does. <clears throat> And he doesn't understand why everyone else doesn't acknowledge that he's one of the most supported geniuses the world has ever seen. It's really strange. But, um, but yeah, you know, like I, John, you were giving me shit cause I don't like, especially eighties, nineties R and B. And I think a lot of it is the vocals. Like hmm. I, I, I can't stand runs. Run, what are runs? What is that? I like what are melody. Runs? What do you mean? You know, in R and B just, you know, like, the way uh what's name? Jennifer like... Hudson. Jennifer Hudson, right? Oh, She's supposed to be this amazing singer. I think it's the worst thing I could possibly listen to is Jennifer Hudson fucking bellowing, ignoring anything re- yeah. resembling a melody. Uh, like to me, that's the same as you're talking about Frank Zappa. I mean, probably what you don't like Frank Zappa is like all the noodling and just mm-hmm. and that's to me what Jennifer Hudson does with her voice. You know, what oh, I like you were okay. You were saying we're music lovers. I think I'm more a song lover. I love songs. I love songwriting. I love the interplay of a vocal melody with the music. So a lot of R&B and then, you know, hip hop is another example. There's not a lot of respect for melody. I like melody that's more of a specific, like constrained. Mm. Like I even get annoyed when live, they will change the melody of a song. Mm -hmm. Mm Because to me, the whole song is the melody. So a lot of artists, when they're performing live, they'll change the melody and they'll ruin the song. To me, you know, there'll be certain parts of the melody that you really love. And then you see them live and they change it. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the whole song. Mm-hmm. But if, from my point of view, you know, you know, another can I to broaden it out a little bit. And maybe I'm wrong here, BJ, but there's for me, I was thinking about this. I tend to not like songs that are in minor keys, right? Like I'm not a Pink Floyd fan and I don't like a lot of like sort of depressing, what I see as depressing, right? So there's, mm-hmm. an, there's an intent with the genre of music. So R&B of the era we're talking about here has a certain flavor and intent, right? So if you're if you're tuned out to that, you're just going to be tuned out to that, right? It's not, it's not speaking to you like BJ just described, right? So for me, I don't really, you know, I kind of discovered that over time, you know, hanging out with Craig, that I, I tend to not like songs that are in minor keys, right? Mm-hmm. Not always, right? But, you know, that certainly is part of it. And that's interesting because I gravitate towards songs that are in yeah, minor then keys. And it makes me think that I like, similar to BJ, I like these high energy, like I like the pop mm-hmm. melody, right? Whether it's framed in a metal song of the early 80s or, you know, Spice Girls or something, right? Like I like this high energy, you know, sort of, striving vocal you know good harmonies things like that if it's sort of down you know depressing sleepy you know i i tend to zone out you know Mm -hmm. so let me ask you this um brad brought up siskel and ebert earlier and i think that's a really good touchstone because let's say at we would like to believe that siskel and ebert go into every movie they ever see with a completely open mind if you went in and you found out that Ebert actually doesn't like horror movies or he actually doesn't like rom-coms, it, you would think that it would, you would believe that that inherent feel, feeling would uh, influence his thoughts or his, his uh, criticism of a movie, right? And so to me, my take on this, on this kind of criticism is that the ideal situation the ultimate situation you can get to is having no preconceived in, uh, disposition to not like something so that you come at all of it with a completely open mind. And yet, 
we all have our peccadillos. And I know that I do when it comes to movies. I don't, like I was saying earlier, I don't watch any superhero movies or science fiction movies or TV shows or my brother's really into these things. And he'll say, you got to watch, you know, The Last of Us. BJ recently was like, even if you don't watch the whole show, you got to watch this one episode. It's so excellent. And I was like, I have no desire to watch that. And I don't know that I ever will. So is there, is that a, a, a default or not a default? Is that a, 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 an error on our part? Is that a, an Achilles heel of us that we can't be as ideal or high-minded as a Siskel and Ebert would be going into a movie when we listen to music? Does that make sense? I get what you're saying, but I think it's an impossible, impossible standard. I think as soon as you've seen one movie, as soon as you've seen one horror movie, mm-hmm. you know, then suddenly the idea of not having preconceived notions is out the window. You know, mm-hmm. as soon as you've heard one metal song or one country song, you know, you've as minimal as that may be, it sets a, a level of expectation mm-hmm. um, and you can't flush that, you know, mm-hmm. and there's, but I, and there's a limited capacity right there's only so much that can you need the yin to have the yang right there's only so much capacity that you're gonna you know again unless you just declare everything ever created as your favorite right you're gonna have to have you're gonna have to you know gravitate to some things which just naturally other things you don't focus on right yeah well you know the last of us episode that you're talking about is a, a great example of if you're if you're deeming that episode science fiction or fantasy, mm-hmm. you can't even possibly imagine what the episode I told you to watch is the third episode of Last of Us with um, Nick Offerman. Have Brad and Eric, have you seen that? Oh, yeah, yeah, a couple times. Yeah, I mean, could you imagine somebody who thinks, oh, The Last of Us is a show about zombies? <laughs> what that episode is i mean i don't even want to tell john because i don't want to ruin it but you know you, you john trust me you have you don't even have the faintest idea what the know, episode is that i'm talking I, I've about i've heard that so. but that's also what people who liked walking dead say and people who like true blood say and people who like battlestar galactica say oh but it's not really about the vampires it's not really about the zombies or the science fiction it's about how it relates to real life and and it's like but i don't want to see a distillation of real life through that lens because that lens is off-putting to me i'd rather just see it through the wire you you have no idea though you have no idea like i don't like the walking dead i think it's terrible writing i don't care i i watched it because it seemed interesting the last of us i don't like every episode i don't think it was the greatest show ever but it has this one episode that i don't think anyone was expecting and it was just a mind-blowing amazing you know, piece of art and very moving, you know, mm-hmm. so nothing you would ever expect. That's why. And so, you know, there's probably is a Frank Zappa song that you would love, like buried somewhere in one of those albums that you would just never expect. But like you said, are you really going to take the time to try to find it? I mean, I usually do, but that's because I, I get, I'm obsessive about that kind of thing. Yeah. But um, yeah. and to, you know, John, you sort of defended that, uh, I think well enough, right? Like it's um, yeah, no requirement that you go watch Last of Us episode three, right? You know, no. BJ, BJ can sing its praises validly, whatever, you know, from now until forever, but you have your preferences. It doesn't make you a, a bad guy that you don't, you know, it doesn't make you a, a, a TV show bigot or whatever, right? It just is, you know, you'd rather watch whatever you would rather watch. That's fine. Right? It yeah. doesn't, you know, it doesn't speak to the quality of that or the quality of you or, you know, anything like that. You know, again, I think there's a capacity element to it. And like back to BJ's point of taste, mm -hmm. there's no right or wrong here. But um, that's, that's, so what we're kind of finally hitting on what is the crux of this, uh, this conflicting feeling I have inside, because I've been in BJ's shoes on this issue more times than I can count. Where I was like, Brad, you got to listen to the second Kaja Gugu album. Trust me on this. They got better when Lamal left. I'm, I know you don't believe me. Max is a fantastic bass player, you know? So, and, and he's sitting there like, John, no matter what you say, I mean, I will listen to it because I love you, but I cannot promise that I'm going to 
have even a shred of the of the feelings or whatever that you have because I've already I already know how I feel about this stuff. And that's the same thing that BJ is saying about Last of Us. John, I know you think that you don't like this and this and this, but that's not what this is. It's so much different. It's elevated. And so I go in though to these things with my baggage and it's really hard to to get it to let the baggage off at the door. For instance, you guys, I mean, I love everything 80s. My wife hates 80s movies. And I'll be like, look, I, you know, we're married. I love you. I want to share the things that matter to me with you. Please watch Real Genius with me and have as open a mind as you can. And she just won't. Or she won't, but she won't like it. Or we'll argue afterwards because she'll be like, I didn't like that. And I'll say, yeah, but you made up your mind you weren't going to like that. You, <laughs> you know, know, it's funny. Like, I, I imagine now you, the however many years you guys have been married, 20 years or something. 20. Right? We just did you know, 20 like two weeks ago. How many hours of you trying to convince her and her defending? <laughs> you could just watched it for 90 minutes and been done with it. Right? I know. I know. <laughs> I know. It's so true. So true. So anyway. Porky's uh, three is the best one. You don't understand. <laughs> I just did a rewatch of all the Porky's recently, and they're all garbage. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, but anyway, that I don't know. It just I keep feeling like there's a there's a you know a utopian view of all of this, a utopian way to approach any anything that requires the senses: food, movies, music, whatever. And that is to have come with as little baggage as possible so you can experience it fully. But I just wonder if it's impossible. I'll give you another example. I heard, uh, in, you remember those Leonard Balton books that had like every movie ever in them? Uh, I, those are like gold. And I used to buy one every few years. And I remember he gave The Fly, the 80s version with Jeff Goldblum, like two and a half stars. And I think that version of The Fly is an absolute masterpiece. That is a perfect movie to me. And I remember him being on Doug, Lo Doug Loves Movies podcast or whatever, where they play the Malton game. Mm -hmm. And him, Doug, giving Leonard a hard time. And Leonard like, eh, I'm just not really into horror movies. And when he said that, I thought, well, that now I know. But then also at the same time, now I can't take any of your reviews for horror movies, which I'm not a fan of either, by the way, seriously, because you go in with a predisposed idea. So maybe the maybe the ideal situation is not to come in with a completely open mind. It's maybe it's being open to having your mind changed about this one song or movie or dish of food or whatever. I don't know. Well, does that dilute your appreciation for the ones that you sort of came to without effort, sort of more naturally? That's a good question. Um, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, I'll give you an exa another example. I feel like I'm dominating the conversation. Sorry. Oh so God. I grew up, I grew up, you know, Mormon, white, Salt Lake City, middle class, and all the stoners. I've told the story before. All the stoners at school like the stuff that BJ was talking about. You know, the Def Leppards and the Rats and Aussies and Kiss and all that kind of stuff. And I was the guy with a lot of gel in his hair and long bangs and his shirt, you know, buttoned up to the top and <laughs> pegged pants and all this kind of stuff penny loafers and uh i just did not and all the kids who liked that stuff were sort of scuzzy they were the stoners we called them scuzzy with like jean jackets long hair seemed like lower socioeconomic we're talking about i mean talk about bigotry these are my impressions of those people you know what i mean broken homes not i did not i aspired to a better life than the life i was projecting on to the kids who liked that kind of music and I remember when Bark at the Moon came out and I secretly really, really liked Bark at the Moon, that song. But I was sure that I shouldn't, you know, that's not how I see myself. That's not, it doesn't jive with my image of me or the life I want or the things I'm interested in or whatever, kind of like BJ was saying about you too. Yeah. And so I rejected it. Cut to about 20 years ago or so, and I'm reading Chuck Klosterman's Fargo Rock City book. And it's basically this whole book that's an argument on the, uh, uh, on behalf of the artistic nature of 80s hair metal. And it completely converted me. And now I, it finally allowed me to say, I love all of that stuff. But it took a while, it took time, it took 
you once you get old enough to not think of things as guilty pleasures and just enjoy them for what they are and anyway i'm talking yeah. a lot but it just goes well, back to leaving baggage yeah. at the door again can i can i chime it's in hilarious real quick bj can i chime on yeah. that real quick yeah. one point brad made on an episode of positive signs we did about john hyatt and this one of the best things i've ever heard him say was you know back to the context of it right and it matches exactly your journey that you just said you know, Brad was talking about a John Hyatt album, Bring the Family, that he heard. I don't know, Brad, correct me on the ages here, but John Hyatt say when he was 30. Brad heard it when he was a, a 20 year old. Right. And he had, you know, he had a, a, a point of view as a 20 year old listening to this 30 year old's music. And then eventually, you know, Brad reached the age of the artist when he recorded it. And then he saw it differently because the context of his own life was different in relation to the subject of the songs. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then beyond that. So he grew older than the guy who wrote the songs at 30. And then he saw it somewhat with a nostalgic point of view, if you will. Right. So he saw the same piece of art at three points in time, contextually in his own life and through three different points of view and appreciate it differently along that journey, right? Mm -hmm. uh, which I thought was an absolutely brilliant point, Brad. I, I cite that all the time. I thought that was amazing. Okay. So, that, you know, that is kind of what you're describing, John. Like there was, you know, when you were in high school, you're like, ah, fuck these guys, right? I'm, but you know, like you had a perception of what that meant for you at that point in time. But then you hit another point in time and triggered by this review where you were like, oh, okay. And you had a different point of view because you've evolved, whatever, and you could appreciate that same music from a different point of view. Uh -huh. Now, you know, extrapolate that for another 10, 20 years, right? You might yeah. be you might be rocking a dock and t-shirt. Yeah. So it's just <laughs> a matter of time then that Brad comes around to the blow monkeys and BJ comes around to new edition. And I, I look forward to that day. <laughs> yeah. What were you so, gonna say, Brad? I think BJ uh, had a point. BJ yeah. was gonna say something. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was, it's just hilarious to think about, you know, you're talking about Ozzy Osbourne in the eighties, like somebody wasn't there. Can't even imagine this idea that Ozzy Osbourne was like dangerous in the eighties. To a young and then, Mormon kid in Utah, well, he to, was dangerous. Well, just in the culture. But yeah. what's funny is that a lot of the people that liked Ozzy Osbourne liked it because of that, Yeah. because it was dangerous, because you weren't supposed to, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. but that's what, you know, pushed you away. But, you know, especially when you're younger, you have all of those. And, and, you know, the, it was insane that, you know, Motley Crue and Ozzy Osbourne were scary and corrupting the youth, you know, and it's hilarious to look back on it, uh, on how it was perceived back then. But like, I liked all that music, but I didn't hang out with those, those stoner guys you're talking about. You know, my best friend was basically the valedictorian who went to the university of Chicago and he's a college professor now. And he liked all that music too. You know, he his favorite bands were Def Leppard and Dokken and Quiet Ride and, you know, everything. So it wasn't only the stoner kids, you know, but um, what was I just thinking about? I think I forgot now. I had a good point, too. Well, you remember your good <laughs> point. Brad makes his good point. Um, yeah. well, I was just going to say that, you know, when I grew up in the listening to music late 70s 80s i used to read rolling stone spin magazine all those things were like you know kind of like uh the bible is a, a little too extreme but i mean they were great resources all those kind of magazines guitar player magazine um and you know eventually you know you sort of you're absorbing everything that's happening at the time and you don't love all of it but you like a lot of it and and then as time goes on sort of you know the music gets a little bit past you and you know, into the nineties, I would still read the stuff. And I, it was, you know, kind of a struggle to like, this is what's happening in, in the music culture. And I should know this. And I, because I love music, I should, I should be in touch with this. I should be giving this stuff a, a chance. And, and, uh, you know, and eventually by the time we got to new metal, one of my all time least favorite genres, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I realized, wait a minute, I'm not a rock critic. I don't get paid to do this. I don't have to make myself like anything. I don't have to pretend to like anything so that I'm relevant. <laughs> Screw all of that. <laughs> and, you know, I, so I, you know, I, there's some of that stuff I still read, but, you know, for the most <laughs> part, I just, you know, I don't really pay attention. I, I just realized that I like what I like and there's enough of it out there. And I still discover new music all the time, all the time. 
It's just that it's new to me. It's not necessarily new to the world. Mm-hmm. There's so much out music that that's been made over the past 50 years that if, if for some reason I never heard another piece of new music made today forward, that would be a shame, but there's still plenty of stuff that I would discover from old mm-hmm. records, you know? So, you know, I just, I, at some point you just kind of, you give up trying to worry about, am I relevant or are my face relevant? Am I cool? Mm-hmm. No, I don't care about any of that anymore. I like what I like. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's another uh, component. It's kind of a test, a taste component. Like I'm not a fan of the doors and it's because of the sound, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a, like, a you know, I need a whatever, whatever they're lacking bass or something. It's just that Ray Manzarek, like that yeah i zone out right and they could record my favorite song but if it sounded like the doors i wouldn't be down with it right um you know probably the beatles using sitar is a distinct sound that Mm. probably was off-putting to beatles fans right if their ear was not tuned or their mind was not open right Mm -hmm. um you know there's i called it I yeah. called it the shitar on my podcast. <laughs> no, right? I love all of that stuff. Me because too. Those are my favorites. It, like I'm, within like, you, without you. And oh stuff. Those yes. are the worst. Okay. I'm a sucker for anything. Oh, that. Those are my Beatles favorites. <laughs> See, that's why BJ's a racist. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, no. <laughs> no but so, totally so let me ask. So is that, you know, did that open you up to listening traditional Indian music? Yes. Like have, you, have you then gone and explored other sitar mm-hmm. music? Yeah, I have a whole collection of Ravi Shankar records, um, Debashish Bhattacharya. I have all kinds of stuff like that of traditional yeah. music that I love. It's the only kind of folk slash world music that appeals to me. Yeah. And it did start because of yeah. the, but I just yeah. like it on its own. But I will admit I haven't gone that deep, but um, similarly, like in the 90s when trance and kind of like uh, techno and all that was really you know those chill out mix cds and stuff were starting to be really popular i got really heavily into a lot of that stuff and so much of it had music with tablas or that were based on like bossa nova music and uh i love i just can't get enough of like you know gilberta girl from ipanema i mean whatever you know the sergio mendez all that like what's that Joao Gilberto. Yeah, that's what I was trying to think of. Uh, that kind of stuff. I mean, I don't. it may not be what I put on when I want a three-minute pop song, which is 90% of the time, but I love whenever, you know, that bossa nova sound comes on because I heard it in a way that was, I was more comfortable with that, with samples of it in, in techno music being my entry point, kind of like George Harrison being a comfortable entry point of the sitar, you know, right. versus like, Here's some sitar music. Go deal with it. Yeah, for me, uh, you know, thinking of international music, you know, my wife was Brazilian, so I heard a lot of bossa nova music in that those bunch of years that we were together or whatever. But, you know, so I have an ear for that and an affection for that, right? And a bunch of vinyl as a result and so forth, right? And then actually has informed subsequent discoveries, right? I'm a huge fan of Leanne Le Havis which if you, you know, just on the surface, you wouldn't think how much she uses bossa nova elements, but boy, in that first record, she does big time, right? And, you know, my ear is, I was ripe to hear that, you know? And so when I heard it in her music, I was all in, right? So that's probably not dissimilar to you guys here in sitar and so forth, right? Like you, you know, so you like that sound and when you hear it, you know, it, uh, it resonates with you, right? But you didn't like just the opposite. Right. Like, you know, yeah. BJ, we couldn't tune on to, you know, turn on anything with a sitar in it. You know, he could Cheap Tricks new album is going to be a sitar heavy bass. Uh, you know, be like, fuck that, yeah. man. You know? George Lynch has picked up a sitar in the next Doc and Rick Nielsen, be full Rick of Nielsen yeah. has a five neck sitar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought of an ex- I thought of an example of like a like overcoming a bias or something that I experienced, which was the Grateful Dead, where I had all these preconceived notions about what the Grateful Dead was. And I had a college roommate who was, you know, he was like an upper middle class kid from Pennsylvania who came to college and became a deadhead. And 
and uh, you know, he had all these, you know, like I still can't stand the Grateful Dead live, like all the jamming and noodling. I don't like that kind of shit. But uh, I had all these preconceived notions about the Grateful Dead wasn't, even though I really I read Ken Kesey and Tom Wolfe, and I I should have known that the Grateful Dead were cool because of you know how they started. I knew the whole story of the acid tests and everything. It still didn't make me interested because I just had all these preconceived notions. And then it was the final episode, I think, of Freaks and Geeks, where Linda Cardellini's character becomes a deadhead, and they play Ripple and Box of Rain in that episode, and I loved both of those songs. And then I got some Grateful Dead records, and there's a couple of Grateful Dead records that I absolutely love. And I never even would have bothered if it wasn't for Freaks and Geeks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I had decided what the Grateful Dead were. Mm -hmm. And uh, and also there was, you know, it's like deadhead, like going to college in the 90s. And there's these people that, you know, I, they're, you know, they're very annoying because, sure. like I said, my roommate was like this a rich kid who now he's like <laughs> that guy was a weirdo, too. But I mean, you know, it had all these biases and everything. And then but I heard the songs and I liked them, mm -hmm. you know, and I didn't care that it was the Grateful Dead. Mm -hmm. All the bias went away as mm -hmm. soon as I heard Ripple. I mean, I thought it was amazing. So we yeah, just gotta that. find the perfect '80s song then for Brad. I wonder what <laughs> would be the Trojan horse for Brad coming around. I'm gonna get you the perfect candidate. Well, you know, there are <laughs> there's there are inexplicable things in the '80s that I that I like that I don't know why. Uh huh. Um, what about Big Country? Do you like Big Country? I'm not a Nah, not really a big fan. I, I don't, mean, that's one of the best things it, ever. So yeah, I agree. <laughs> it just doesn't. It doesn't move me. Um, I don't dislike wow. it, but it doesn't. I don't know how anyone can be moved by in a big country. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. But just huh. it just doesn't. Well, you know, Brad is way older than us. <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry, man. I'm saying you came at you experienced that music as the changes were happening. Like I went back to '80s music. I didn't. I was a little kid when a lot of that was happening, and I got in. I found my love for a lot of that music, like in the '90s, when mm -hmm. I was collecting records and stuff. So yeah. it's a totally different perspective from somebody who, you know, you were a huge music fan in the seventies and then there's all these changes happening mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, well, I was, so you have a whole different experience that, you know, that is true. And we're all shaped by the time in which we come out of, I mean, I was 18 in 1982. That's the year I graduated high school. Right. So, you know, I should have been primed for both new wave and, or hair metal, but neither one, appeal to me uh yeah. so it's right so in 1982 when you um were in the one room schoolhouse the kids weren't uh, that wasn't all the rage. <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny you mentioned that because i i have so for instance bob boylan the guy on npr uh he pisses me off so much because he's such a musical snob i feel like and he kind of like brad just ignores the 80s all of it was garbage i'm not saying you think that brad but it's just such snobbery and snobbery and music to me do not go together i hate that about people who make you feel like something you like is silly well, there's, yeah there's a difference in just saying it's not for me and saying it's objectively bad true right? let me finish my thought real quick and then we'll go back to that because i want to hear you on that um I could, I can understand that if you came from the seventies where there weren't an overindulgence in synthesizers and it was mostly literal music and played on literal instruments and, uh, you know, solos that all this stuff, more about music, uh, talent or aficionado than it was like machines taking over. I could understand then maybe if you were like, Ooh, this is just dumbing down or watering down all the things that I think are special about music. And then there's those of us, me specifically who came up in the eighties where it's like, we just made music better. And Brian Lennon of, you know, he, once synthesizers came along, he was like, yes, we've hit the pinnacle of what musical music is capable of we don't need all those instruments anymore we can just go right to the synthesizer you know yeah <laughs> that, that size says it all <laughs> i think another anyway. thing people react to is a, a band's image which obviously in the 80s 
became extremely important. And, you know, it was hard. It must have been hard to take a lot of bands, new wave bands and heavy metal and hair metal bands seriously. If you're looking, I mean, at the time, it, it, I guess, I mean, I love image. I think that's a Uh great part of rock and roll. So I really appreciate that. And I love when bands look ridiculous. I, I, I personally love it. But I also understand that some people look at and then it's going to taint uh, the way they judge the music, probably. Well, let me ask you this, Brad. Do you, I can't remember. I think we've talked about Duran Duran before, but I don't remember. What are you, what's your feeling about Duran Duran? Are they too much image? Can, are they good musicians? Uh, a little bit too much image, but um, let, me, let me play you one thing for my... Okay. My opinion on yeah brad came prepared with music clips (laughs) that is what it sounds like when you step on a cat (laughs) uh if you set out to intentionally create a vocal that would get on my nerves you couldn't come up with a more annoying vocal than that it's whiny it's pitchy it's irritating i think it's embarrassing uh i i uh, you know uh, the record label actually didn't want to put that out as a single because of specifically because of that well then they had the great Nile <laughs> no. rogers make it even better and it became hit number one it yeah. was one of their biggest hits um so you know what do i know but i literally hate the way that sounds like when you know bj was talking about stuff that just makes uh-huh. you angry like, yeah that just <laughs> oh, it gets on my nerves so so much it's one of the worst things i have ever heard on a record by a by a serious band uh, that, i don't i do not understand how anyone could record that and think that's good I <laughs> that's exactly how i feel about a long December by Counting Crows, and at the end when uh, what's his name is Adam Durance is like, yeah, nah. yeah. Oh, that's exactly how I feel. That's just like it, the most sickening nails on a chalkboard sound. I yeah, could, that's I could ever imagine. Yeah, that's a good example. Like a lot of vocals in the '90s, I just hate. Just I hate the songs just because of the way the singer sings. Yeah. Or Dolores got really bad in the nineties, zombie and stuff like that. The worst. What were you going to say, Brad? I just curious how you feel about Dave Matthews vocals. Ugh, horrible. I I I don't have a problem. I can't. I can't. No, his voice horrible drives me up a wall. Mm. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Best thing he ever did was dump all that shit on those people off that bridge. (laughs) 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 You know that story? Yeah. Like he didn't do it. Like his bus. I mean, I haven't kept up with Dave Matthews. Uh, once you've heard one album, you probably don't need anything else. But I was really into Dave for the first. Well, that's an example of vocals so. that I hate. Mm-hmm. But that whole jam band vibe in the 90s was just didn't like it. You know, I have a great practical example that I think ties all four of us into this in a way. Right. So I don't know, BJ, just go with this. I'm going to assume that you were at least a a casual fan of the first danger danger record right yeah i'm just gonna okay so yeah bj and i both danger danger fans to whatever extent right john and brad not at all right but i am you, now you came to, you came yeah. to my house concert and saw ted poley perform naughty naughty bang bang in that setting in that context i saw both you motherfuckers singing along to bang bang <laughs> And naughty, naughty, right? Yeah. Um, the context is is key, right? It is. Before that evening, there's no chance BJ or I could have said in as much good faith as we could muster to either of you guys, like, oh, man, here, I think you'll like naughty, naughty. <laughs> there's, you, neither of you would have been down with open to it, right? Close. <laughs> even, About even a year prior to me. that night, our buddy Jason Pollack sent me a mix CD with a bunch of songs he thought I would like. And they, and I found that all the songs on the CD that I really liked were the danger, danger songs. Mm-hmm. And so he bought and sent me the first two danger, danger albums. Yeah. The second one's okay, but the first one is masterful. And Ted and I were supposed to do an interview about a month and a half ago and he had to cancel. So. Oh, darn. Yeah. yeah you know, <laughs> PJ, I bought, Oh, darn. <laughs> I bought everything 
that was in Metal Edge. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, me too. You know, I, I was wait. I probably bought Danger Danger on the day of release. I mean, I was waiting for that to come out. That's how I was back then. Um, but you know, it's funny. Danger Danger is an AOR album. Like you know, they're kind of they're mostly, in the yeah. hair metal. There's very there's nothing hair metal. There's nothing metal about Danger yeah. Danger really. Yeah. You know. Um, but. Yeah, but that's but yeah, it's the kind of thing like I mean they're called Danger Danger. Like it's a kind of ridiculous name. It's like uh-huh. there's so many things about it that it's so all their songs are over the and top and about sex yeah. and partying and but yeah. Yeah, I was so into that back then. Yeah. And I still but, like it all. Yeah, but my point was contextually, you guys yes. yeah. became yeah. fans. Yeah. Like, Brad's that, that's what I was going by Lama Benadiaro. Depends on who's teaching. An audio episode, but Brad's wearing a, a monkey business shirt right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It says "Slip through the big one" on the back. <laughs> you know, I would I would say that "Danger Danger" as you were saying before, like blind. That would be more of like a blind spot because I just I never heard of them. I don't know I didn't know anything about them. So you know, it wasn't like I heard it and rejected it. It's, you know, it it's not entirely my wheelhouse, but it's. You know, but it was just more of a, you know, yeah. everything. I mean, but nowadays, I mean, I saw you throwing your panties at Ted here. <laughs> <laughs> it was a tough ride home without this. <laughs> Chafing. <laughs> well, we can we can let this go, but I I don't know that we solved anything. I do feel like, and we could even go around. I feel like the I stand by kind of what I was saying earlier that if you the bet the ideal situation is that anybody enters any experience that is sensual, whether it's food or a TV show or a song or whatever, with as open a mind and the least amount of baggage possible. And um but I can say that because I feel strongly that I'm good about doing that with music and I'm terrible about doing that with movies and TV shows. So since we're mostly a music podcast, I guess, anyway, that's my feeling about that. Do you guys have a final kind of statement or feeling about how we should approach stuff? Is it okay to know what we, is that like a higher elevation of awaken awareness to know what you like and know to reject the rest? Or, or are you chasing that coolness thing or that acceptance thing that we were describing earlier, right? I don't, I Why mean, my, the be... stuff I love is so dumb. I don't think I care at all about acceptance anymore. I mean, I, I have hip sway on the podcast and said they were geniuses. So <laughs> I don't think, you know, I don't think anyone is concerned about my cool factor. Yeah, I, think, yeah, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Eric. Well, I was... okay. You know, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, with my podcast, I mean, obviously it's been all over the place, but I remember Sonny Pooney making fun of me because I did an Al Green episode and it's like, you know, so some people are like Sonny Pooney, you know, Sonny Pooney, I think has a very specific, a guy like that has very specific, um, a box that his taste is enclosed in that he's not going to venture out of, you know, I don't think I'm like that, but. I think you like what you like and there's certain elements that everybody likes more than, you know, there's certain elements that are, that I can, I don't know why that's what I appreciate, but I know, I kind of know by now what I appreciate and what I'm drawn to. Um, Okay. So I don't think, I don't believe, I don't think the term blind spot or big chair, I don't think either of those apply because it's just taste. I don't think you really, I think that you your taste, especially when you're younger, can be, um, um, what's the word? Influenced mm-hmm. by you know different by your peer group and just you, the image you want to project or whatever. But all of that's terrible, and we well we all grow it. Most of us, <laughs> luckily, but um, but in the end, I think you don't choose what you like. You might choose what you admit to like. <laughs> mm. Okay, but. But I don't think there's any, I don't think there's a whole lot of choice involved. Um, but like Eric, early on, he talked about culture. I think a lot of it is culture and what you're exposed to. I don't know how, I don't know if taste develops as your brain is developing. I don't, who knows how it works, mm-hmm. but I think you end up, 
I think everybody has, I, I think it's inexplicable, whatever taste is, but I don't, I don't get the blind spot or bigotry things. Um, I think what I don't like, it's just cause I don't like it. I don't okay. think it has anything to do with, I don't think if I sit down and listen to boys to men over and over, I'm going to start liking it. You know, I just don't think that would happen. Mm -hmm. But there are okay. songs in my life that I didn't like, and then I eventually did like. That has happened, too. Well, hopefully Music League helps you come around on some things. Brad, give us Music your League wisdom. Is a, Music, League, uh, Music League is a great example of how I realized my taste is way different uh -huh. <laughs> than a lot of, <laughs> especially the hustle crowd, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't jive with the hustle crowd at all. Uh -huh. In fact, I there's a lot of songs I wanted to share that I I didn't because I'm like I don't want to see all these people shit on this. I don't want to <laughs> deal. I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, because I knew they were all gonna hate it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah Music true. League was was kind of a. It's like wow, my taste is weird. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Okay, Brad, send us off with some uh, deep wisdom you've gained. Well, you know, I kind of look at it this way. Ultimately, the the four of us, we all grew up in different parts of the country. We all have pretty different experiences growing up. As you kindly noted, I am older than you guys. But <laughs> the one thing that we have in common is a real legitimate just love for music. And that means I feel more connected to you guys than I am to people who I grew up with, people in my own neighborhood, mm -hmm. neighborhood who... You know, they're more likely to listen to sports radio than a podcast about music. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, as as dug in as we are on the things that we like and don't like that, you know, that overall passion for just for for music, for songs, uh, you know, bonds us in a way that mm -hmm. I consider you guys to be among my best friends. Um, it's so funny you say that, Brad. My uh, it was, as I said, Farrah and I had our 20th anniversary recently, and we went out to dinner on Friday night to celebrate. And she brought this questionnaire, like just something to spark conversation. And uh, what is your spouse's favorite relative? Or what is their favorite TV show or whatever? And you have to guess with the other. And one of the questions was, who are your spouse's two best friends? And uh, she we were struggling because it's probably my brother who probably shouldn't count. And then it's you dudes. And it, which didn't seem right, but like my one best friend died of brain cancer a couple of years ago, another best friend of mine that I haven't seen in a while. And so of the like people who are actively in my life that I think about and talk to and share the most, you know, intimacy with it's you guys. And that's weird when we're on zoom and we've only ever hung out a few times in person, but that's the way life is these days. You know, it's true. Well, I think it's a rare breed of middle-aged men who start a music podcast. So <laughs> I don't think it's any coincidence that we all get along. So, yeah, well. that's true. you know, it's a weird way to find each other, but it's a very <laughs> it's... specific way to yeah. find each other. That's it. Yeah, that is it. Um, okay. Before we go, uh, Eric, I want to hear about the Mary fall stone turtle, concert last night because i love mary she's such a sweet lady how did it go oh awesome man she's always amazing my my first ever house concert was attending her first ever house concert back in 2009 or 10 something like that so yeah i've known her for a decade she's amazing always amazing sweetheart you know i had one more point i wanted to make oh, just please you know, I, to give credit to my pods and sods co-host craig smith and he's probably he hasn't derided anybody's musical taste more than mine in his life, probably, right? Brian Lynn fast catching up, right? But you know, for the most part, it's been me, right? Um, and to his credit, you know, and I don't think he would mind me saying this, you know, I watch him because he loves music like we love music and so forth, right? And he's got a certain, he's got a certain approach to, you know, I don't know if it's OCD or whatever. It's a life. He's very methodical, right? So he actually goes on like uh, excursions, these sort of fact-finding discovery, like I'm going to try to get into whatever, right? And he, you know, he opens his mind as best as he can and, you know, in a good faith way, will 
try to get into something right and sometimes it's rewarding and it pays off like he's a massive fish fan and he wasn't at a point in time right that was a direct result of him going out on that exploration right and then it was rewarding right you know that came to mind when bj was talking about the grateful dead right whatever it was that that first step on that path he was like oh yeah and he wanted the second step and the third and now he's got you know a side cast on fish you know some of them not as successful right but you know that's whatever his subjective tastes are overlaying in that the things he likes the instrumentation musicality right he's gone into a few of those things you know and they've paid off not all of them would as you would expect, right? Um, but, you know, I want to give him credit for that. And I think that's kind of what you're, what you were talking about earlier, John, in terms of, you know, yeah. discovering things. And, you know, us as music fans are on varying degrees of that journey, right? We might not have um, sort of a deliberate action to find something new like Craig sets out to do, but, you know, we, you know, we clue each other on things, right? Brad, if, like a year plus ago, sent me like Amethyst Key. And I was like, oh man, awesome. He loves that. So do I, right? It was amazing. Um, so we're all still discovering these things, right? Um, and, you know, like you guys were saying, we have different life experiences, different, uh, you know, uh, proclivities that we bring to this or tastes or what have you, right? Um, and I think it's great. And that's why we remain connected. And, you know, even if we don't, um, you know, like all the same things, you know, we, you know, we respect each other's opinions and, you know, subjective tastes and so forth. And we all can objectively agree that life is a highway is the worst song ever. That was a long way to get to that point. That's where I was. <laughs> I, all right. Know, I, I see, I, even though there's things that we, like and 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 dislike i see myself in you guys in the passion if it's not necessarily about the same artist or the same genre but i recognize that passion you know um game meets game or whatever yeah expression yeah. you want to make yeah i wonder what the, i wonder where the real overlap is with the four of us because i think all four of us have very different taste in the yes. end but there's some overlap. Yeah, kiss, I think I we all have different <laughs> passions might be the a better, you know, we all have things that we feel stronger about than the other thing, but there's, yeah. I think we can all find music that we all like, but not oh, the same sure. music that we're all passionate about, you know? Yeah. 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 It's a weird one. Who knows? I, I think, I, I think too, the fact that none of us um, thought to go to Keel Fest probably helps in our, <laughs> you know what I mean? I heard <laughs> that Keelfest us... was not good. <laughs> well, uh, not surprising. So yeah, I mean, maybe if one of if there were the four of us loving music, but then one of us was like, "I'm going to Keelfest because that's going to kick ass." That guy might be, you know, not he might be on the outs of the, the friend loop here. But anyway, all right. Well, uh, unless someone has a final word, I'm going to stop recording. Yeah, I, got a, I got a Travis Tritt show to go to. So. <laughs> I would just, I would just say a word of thanks. You know, thanks for, you know, uh, having us on for this conversation discussion. Yeah. I always, you know, not only do I appreciate the time I get to spend with you guys as rare as it is, right. It's always uh -huh. valued and, you know, I leave and it's sort of opened my thoughts up and I'll be thinking about this discussion and looking forward to the next. So I always appreciate you doing it. Good. Yeah, I got to go listen to the second Kajagugu album. I'm gonna, <laughs> BJ, BJ, it's I got great. some. Uh, I'm gonna send you some in Vogue songs that you'll really like. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, love you all. I'm gonna hit stop recording. Here we go. All right. <laughs>